You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. I'm going to say this, but I don't know this is exactly what we're going to do, uh, but I, I want you to turn it in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. <laughs> People are laughing because I've been trying to do this message for about a month, and every week it's like, uh, you know, things have been going on, and it's good, and it's God. And I really felt like today was the day, and then Mary came up and talked to me during service but I think it's still within what God is doing. I'm just, a, I'm kind of excited that I actually get to do a kind of a normal teaching today, if there's anything normal. And so, I, you know, having said that, if it's your first time here at the bridge, welcome to the bridge where everything goes according to plan. I was laughing as Angie was talking about, you know, thinking she's going to spend the day with kids and then she ends up having to speak at a church. I was like, you should be ready for that. Because this is, you know, my weekly existence here at the Bridge Metro West. We plan to the minute every service. And yet there has never been a service that has gone according to plan. It's almost to the point where I rue the day that that actually happens. Cause, but see, here's what, the, here's what the Word says. The Word says that we plan our ways, but the Lord directs the steps. There's no direction for steps if we don't plan. And this is sort of, a, can be an issue within the prophetic stream of the church because the prophetic stream of the church is, you know, we're anti-religion. We are anti-structure. You know, we want to be free and we want the freedom of the Lord. And it was sort of an adverse reaction to, I think, a lot of people's churchianity that maybe they were raised in, that everything was, was so built on structure that we replaced presence with programs, we replace the spirit with structure without breath. But throughout scripture, there is structure. Structure is the banks of the river. There is no momentum for the river unless there are banks. If there are no banks to the river, then all we're dealing with is a swamp. I lived in the woods growing up. And uh, in the, as a matter of fact, we went to go visit the house. It's on the market, or it was on the market for about a day. And... Uh, you know, we lived in this, and it still looks like it was built in the 70s. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a nice house, but it's, it, it definitely looks exterior-wise like it was built in the 70s. And so we went to the open house, I don't know, like three weeks ago and walked in. We were kind of walking around a little bit. And uh, then I got to tell the realtor, and Lisa was there too. I was like, yeah, we, I grew up in this house. My parents built this house. And they, so we ended up being like there for the duration. Like we shut the place down because they were so excited that we're there. And then there was people there and they're asking me questions about the house. They're not even asking the realtor. So I'm, I'm taking people on the tour of the house. I'm like, I want to cut of the commission here. You know what I mean? But we lived down. So at the end of this cul-de-sac, about 40 feet below the, uh, maybe 30 feet below the road. So, uh, and then in the back, there was like a one and a half acres up against conservation land, but not too far in the back was swamp. Now, the, today, it's, it, this might be more of an issue than it was, you know, in 1975. Because in 1975, you know, we didn't have Tripoli, you know, we didn't have, you know, mosquito-borne illnesses. Or if we did, we didn't know about it. You know, you just got a cold or whatever. But there were mosquitoes 
As a matter of fact, my sister and I would play games. We would go out like in mosquito time and run around and be chased around literally by clouds of mosquitoes. Our first year there, I was out, I think it was Mayfly you know, season, you know, when the little Mayflies come out, and I came in and I just was dripping with blood all over my face. And my mom screamed because she didn't know what happened. But we became accustomed. This is just normal life living in the woods next to a swamp. There was no mosquito magnet. You know, you could, uh, look, you could put out 500 citronella candles. I don't care. It ain't doing a thing. You know what I mean? It's just not going to do a thing. So, but that's what happens when you don't have banks to a river. It still breeds life. It just might not breed the kind of life that you want. And this is why churches that abdicate our responsibility to plan, to build, they grow to a certain extent, but then they stagnate because there's no momentum to carry it forward. And, you know, even the, the, the scripture uh, that Angela referenced this morning, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I love that scripture. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. <laughs> Just caught myself. But I've taught on that a lot. It, this is the whole story in, in Zechariah where the word of the Lord comes to uh, Zerubbabel, and he's talking about this mountain that's before you. And it will come down. It will be made a plain with shouts of grace, grace to it. And it's a great prophetic word. But here's the thing. And then he says, not by, my, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But the Holy Spirit didn't come down to take down the mountain. What was the mountain? The mountain was the rocks and the stone and the materials that the people had piled up 15 years prior to rebuild the temple. And so every day, Zerubbabel walks out of his house and he looks at the Temple Mount and he sees this mountain of rock before him. And every day, it feels like hopelessness because the, for the one purpose that he was released from exile with thousands, tens of thousands of Jews back to Jerusalem, the purpose was to rebuild the temple. And now he wakes up, steps out of his front door every day for 15 years and looks upon his failure as a leader. And then the prophetic word comes. And it's this declaration, you know, the mountain shall be made flat before you and like a plain and, you know, you get excited. And then not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, shout grace to the mountain. And everybody's going to shout grace to the mountain. And it's just magically going to come down. That's not how it works. The mountain came down by the hands of man, brick by brick, in obedience to the word of the Lord. Might and power without the spirit is striving in the flesh. But the Spirit will move you, inspire you, and breathe you to move in such a momentous way that might and power will proceed from you. Because that's who Jesus is. And if it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, then there is something in you that is always proceeding with power even when you don't realize it. Because there is always power proceeding from the nature and the being of Christ Jesus. Where do we see this? Let's look at Mark. Wow, we're really going to do this. I'm so excited. 
Let's start in verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21. And it says this. I'm reading out of the New American Standard today. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell, fell at his feet. Okay, when God moves, when God shows up, two things happen. Either we stand up or we fall at his feet. Those are the two things that typically happen. I love our, you know, nice four-hour cushy chairs that keep you alive if we happen to have a long service. But when the king of glory shows up, Two things happen. We either stand up or we fall on our face. And a lot of times you'll see it says they fell, at his, you know, they fell on their face as though dead. So there's power that proceeds from him that drives people to their knees. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, uh, came up and on seeing him fell, out his, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had uh, a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her afflictions. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. You say, and you say, who touched me? That's what I would do. God, I mean, honestly, but I was, I'd be like, what are you talking about? There's like 500 people crowding around you. You're talking about who touched you? What's wrong with this guy? Because I always know better. And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. There's a lot of um, key things, and, and to be clear, we've touched on a lot of these over the last month. It's been faith and action. It's been the word and action. And so while we have a plan, we hold on to it loosely enough so that if we understand that God is doing something a little bit different than what we had planned, we're, releasing, we're willing to release control to him with fear and trembling. Because now you're just hanging on for dear life. And you're, you're hoping that you're actually doing what he wants to do. Now, I know it always appears that we're incredibly confident. We know exactly what we're doing. Most of the time, I, you know, I don't really know. Last week, I got up and uh, played. I didn't even realize. I, I thought I played for like five minutes. It turned out to be like 30 minutes. And that became service. And I felt nothing. Yeah, I might have, you'd think that, oh, you know, he's worshiping, he's in the glory. I felt nothing. I was moving in obedience. And when you move in obedience, you just trust that God is going to do what he's going to do. And I've done this fortunately long enough to understand that even if I feel nothing, he's still doing his thing. 
As a matter of fact, most of the time when I'm doing things, I don't feel much of anything. I'm just believing that God is able to do above and beyond anything I could ever ask or think. And so we're just going to keep walking and proceeding. And I'm going to trust the word of the prophets. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit's direction and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, if today goes awry, we can, we can blame Mary. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm always trying to pass the buck, but that's not how it works. So I think one of the key things in this passage is, you, and you see Jesus do this several times, why? Because he's Hebrew. What does Hebrew mean? Somebody tell me what Hebrew means. Crossed over. Crossed over. Crossovers. So, and I love this verse in Exodus that talks about the, uh, the nation, the people of God. When they leave captivity, it says, and a mixed multitude went with them. See, we think of the people of God as merely being Jewish by bloodline, but Scripture there identifies the Hebrew people by their action to follow God. It was a mixed multitude that left Egypt. It wasn't just the strict line of, of uh, lineage of Abraham. It was a mixed multitude that then left and then chose to cross over and then they became Hebrew. Why? Not because of what was in their veins, but because of who they were following. It's a foreshadowing of the kingdom that we have now. The gospel first came to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. We are now a mixed multitude because we have been grafted in now to the vine that is in the, the root of Jesse through Christ Jesus. And now we get all of the promises. We get all of the, um, the benefits of being the people of God. Why? Because we actually are the people of God. Not because of what's necessarily in our veins, but because of who we follow. When you come to the cross of Jesus, you can come as you are. I grew up in the Baptist church. You know, I grew up in, you know, uh, watching Billy Graham on Channel 5 on Sunday nights at 7 when they were doing crusades and things. And, and the, the dude would always come out and sing Just As I Am. It was like the altar call song. And, and it's great. I love that. Just as you are, you can come just as you are. I don't care, you know, what your identity is, what your addiction is, what your ailment is, what your affliction is, or if you think you've got it all together. You can come just as you are, but here's the key. You don't get to stay as you are on the other side of the cross. There is no adjective. There is no other word. There is no other descriptive term that comes before Christ in your life. You are in Christ. You are a new creation. You are given a new identity. It was like that for me. It's like that for everybody. And I was always trying to grab a hold of some identity growing up because, you know, when you're insecure, you don't feel like you're enough. And so even as a teenager, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Paul the soccer player. I'm, now I'm Paul the martial artist. Now I'm Paul the musician. It wasn't until about 1994, 1995, when the Lord started sovereignly pouring out the Father's heart upon the world that I began to understand that, oh, wait, I'm just Paul, a son of God. And is that enough? 
And even then, you got to fast forward another five or six years as I'm sitting there and I had stepped down from leading worship, you know, toward the end of this revival season that was going on around the world. And I'm sitting in this little 10 by 10 uh, room in our little 900 square foot condo and I'm playing and I'm singing, the, singing to the Lord because I felt like the Lord just said, I want you to just take a season and just sing before me. And so I'm sitting there and I'm playing and I'm singing and I'm, and, and, and it's good. I can feel the presence of God coming, and and then I play and I sing this line that's so good, and I stop, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to write this down. This is going to be a great song, and the Holy Spirit dropped on me like a sledgehammer, and he said, stop. I want you to be satisfied in knowing that I'm the only one who will ever hear this song. We can clap, but that was hard for me. Because everything that I was was taking these moments of time and, and putting them on display, which was sort of a love-hate relationship for me because every time I led worship, I was exposing people to my secret place. And y'all been around long enough to know that I love my man cave. I like my secret places. I like to hide. I like, to, I like my times of seclusion and all of that kind of stuff. But... That's not what God called me to do. It's not what call, God called me to be. But if you're, you know, if you're an artist, there's, there's always this dual. You want people to see your stuff, but then there's another part of you that doesn't want people to see your stuff. And a lot of that has to do with insecurity. But I mean, I'm just talking about me. I'm sure everybody else has it together. So over that period of time, the Lord had to scrape off of me everything that I was so that I could be who he said I am, which simply is a son. To the point where my role could change, whatever function, whatever job, whatever I was doing, my role could shift, my role could change, my title could change, but internally I felt the same because my relationship with him was identical. It was waking up in the morning and said, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? As a worship leader, it was, Holy Spirit, what do you want to hear today? You know, as a, you know, in this sort of pastoral apostolic role, it's, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say today? I still plan. I still, I came in here with two messages today, just in case. <laughs> but I was willing to release it all if his love was going to speak a better word over you today. Because sometimes that's just what he does. So you have this story of this woman. You know, I grew up, I think in the King James, it says, you know, you know elegantly, it says a woman with an issue of blood. 12 years. And I don't know what physician's care was like back then, but as a woman who is hemorrhaging for 12 years, I don't think it was probably very pleasant. And it says she tried everything for 12 years, depleted her finances, depleted her resources. She's tired. She's fatigued. She's likely anemic. She's distraught. She's depressed. She is known as one who is ill. But something in her had the, the, the dogged determination to decide that is not the thing that will define me for the rest of my life. And I say this fairly frequently. I know what it's like to be ill. I know what it's like to live in chronic pain. But I made a decision that these things will never be the thing that defines me. 
for me personally. I'm just saying for me personally. Some, some people are just, they're, they're just different. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying from, I, I, you know, there was a period of time in 2007 where I was severely ill. I, I lost, I think, 25 pounds in about five days. I was in the hospital. It took three weeks just for me to get home where I was strong enough to get home. And I had this ailment that I didn't know anything about. I didn't understand it. And, and this was the early days of the internet. Dial-up, guys. No, I, maybe we had DSL at that time. I think I had DSL. It was 2007. I wasn't dial-up anymore. We, you know, we had like a good, solid 1, 1.5 megabyte connection. It was awesome. I, you know, I started playing video games around that time because I decided I wanted to quit getting back spasms and breaking bones because I was playing ice hockey and Deb and I were in a volleyball league and all this stuff. And so I, I started playing video games a little bit more competitively. And uh, back in that day, it's like if you were going to shoot something, you had to lead it by like an inch because the connection was so slow that you had to get ahead of the person that you were, uh, I mean, the pixels that you were directing the zero and one digital projectiles toward. I wasn't that good at it. The kids were great at it. Me, I was, I was sort of the, the low man on the totem pole. But, but that's kind of what the connection was like. So, you know, we get home, and I'm like, I got to learn about this thing. And so I start to, to put my information. I find a forum on the ailment. You know, all these people that have the same ailment that I do. And I started to put in my information, and I started to register because I wanted to be part of this support group. And again, Holy Spirit came on me and dropped on me like a sledgehammer and said, stop, this is not who you are. This is something that is on you. This is something that has afflicted you. But you have no affinity with those whose identity is wrapped up in your ailment. You are the releaser of power. You are the releaser of hope, the releaser of presence. Now, you, know, you could have said, oh, you know, you can get on there and you can fill out your information and be hope to people. I think some people can do that, but I'm, I was just being obedient with the word of the Lord because it came out of left field for me because it made perfect sense that I should go learn about this thing. But we do this all the time just in life where we take on the identity of the thing that afflicts us. And we say things like, oh, it's my disease. It's my depression. Oh, my anxiety is off the chart. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. My anxiety. It's not your anxiety. It does not belong to you. I am not denying that it is afflicting you, but it is not yours as a possession that you put in your cupboard or your china cabinet to put on display for people to see. It is something that we battle against. It is something that we fight. And this woman fought her issue for 12 years with everything at her disposal. She tried because she understood this is not me. I don't know what it's like to fight something. Well, that's not true. I guess I do, but I, I just don't think about it enough to think in terms of, oh, I've been fighting this pain for 12 years. And I think this is a different situation because, you know, a woman who's hemorrhaging for 12 years, that, that is something that actually strikes at the heart of her identity as a woman. And yet she said, this isn't me. So somehow, she remained afflicted, but did not allow it to be her identity. Somehow, 
She understood the circumstance was hard, but I'm, not, I'm gonna choose to not be hopeless. And humility empowered her hunger into action. It's a humbling thing to press into God, especially when everybody else is already doing it. When I tried to preach this message a few weeks ago, I, I gave that the testimony of a revival service I was in. And around 19... 1999, 2000, I can't remember if we were married yet, and it was Claudio Friedson was in Rhode Island, and there was thousands of people there. There was multiple over overflow rooms. They ran cables out into the, the lawn in front of the church, and they set up a, you know, a screen and a camera and a whole other sound system to accommodate like another, I don't know, several hundred or a thousand people out there. And the altar call comes, and people come. Now, I was toward the front, but people came running to the altar to the point where I was already like 10 rows back. And I was deferring to my brother because that's, you know, defer to your brother, defer to your brother, defer to your brother. That, that's, you know, I was doing it with that in mind, but the reality was I had not humbled myself to be desperate enough to press to the front. That's the reality. That was the condition of my heart. It's like, oh, these people, you know, they must really need him. You know, I'm just here for revival. But, the, you know, these people are really, they, they're the ones that really need to get to the front. And then I came to the point in time where every time I got near to the front, it was like a whole bunch of other people just got in front of me. And so then I realized if I don't do something, I'm going to be like the last man up. And, I, and that's not my personality. Like, I don't want to be the last guy. I don't want to be, you know, bringing up the rear. I want to be on the front, the cutting edge. I want to be a part of the violent piece of the blade that cuts through stuff and breaks through things. And that's where I want to be. And also, I, you know, I didn't want to be there all night, which is funny because that's typically how I did function at these meetings. And so then I realized, oh, I need to get there. And so maybe, I'm not telling you to do this, but for me, and it was a different time, a different season, I went elbows out. <laughs> and I just started moving my way to the front. Finally, I got there. And now there's, you know, six rows behind me of people waiting to get prayed for. And I've been waiting for an hour at that point. And so I'm watching Claudio. I'm trying to remember if it was Claudio or Carlos and Acandia. They were both there. But anyway... Which one was the guy that was really the deliverance guy? Carlos. Was that Carlos? Okay, so then it was Carlos. I'm going to look at the pictures after and then try to figure out who's, who is who. But so, so I'm now I'm waiting. I'm positioning myself. I'm ready to receive from God. Because, you know, they, they would always touch you. You've got you to be ready. You've got to prepare yourself to receive. So I'm ready to receive. And, and he's, you know, probably about 30 yards to my left. And he's just stopping at every person. He's praying. And, you know, bodies are flying. And, and, and here's the thing. When God moves on creation, creation cannot contain his glory. And so it's not uncommon for things to move now, I know people, some people will be uncomfortable with that, but it's actually all over Scripture, what we already talked about, that when people encounter God, they often fall on their faces 
as though dead, or they fall on their backs, or they fall to the side, or whatever way they happen to fall, it is not uncommon. And it happens in every culture. It's not some weird uh, method of hypnotism, or whatever the case may be, or suggestion, or people that had seen it happen somewhere else. Because look, I've been in a village where they ain't never seen a white dude step into that village, and I've seen the power of God be released. And I'm telling you, bodies flew like 10 feet across the floor. And by floor, I mean, you know, a floor that was made of dung mud where they had spread freshly, fresh dung out of respect for me. I was so appreciative. It doesn't matter what tribe, what tongue, what nation we're talking about. When God moves in power, it begins to look the same. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm pressing, now I have the standing up anointing, so I don't, I don't fall that much. There's probably something wrong with me, but that's fine. Some, you know, some people have that. They just have the standing up anointing. That's fine. I have the bodily fluid manifestation. I cry and I sweat when the beauty of the Lord comes. I just get all sweaty and I weep and it's an ugly cry. Right? Amen. Hashtag me too. Okay. So... He gets close to me, and now I'm really leaning in. Like, I tense up, because I'm, like, ready to receive. I don't know why I tensed up, but that, I don't know. I was, like, really trying to receive. And then he gets to me, and he touches my forehead, says something in Spanish, and he walks away. Now, I'd love to tell you that it was a holy moment for me, but I was ticked off. I'm young, still in my 20s. I know I'm a man of God. I know what God is calling me to, what he's leading me to. And I'm thinking, does he not know who I am? I mean, I wasn't anybody at that point, but I knew, I knew that I was on a trajectory, even though it wasn't all clear to me. And, you know, I had all these prophetic words. Like, doesn't he know all the prophetic words that I've had? And I walked away at the altar before God a little angry. Not angry at God, of course, because I'm too holy for that. But I was angry at the man. And so I still remember, I was over here, like if this is the altar, but it's, it was like, you know, four times the, the width of this room. And I, I just started walking away. I was like, I can't believe that. He just, he just touched my forehead and he walked away. God, because I, I don't understand because I'm so hungry. And when I said the word hungry, I stopped dead in my tracks and the spirit of God dropped me in the full beauty and the glory of the Lord. And I began to weep an ugly cry. A little bit under the conviction of Holy Spirit, but mostly just under the beauty of the Lord. There's something about hunger that attracts the attention of God. And there, any word that is spoken that is the antithesis of that, for me, is bordering on the doctrine of demons. Because what that will cause you to do is to walk in a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. I have heard the word spoken. Say, you don't need to be hungry for God. You already have as much of him as you will ever have. And I look at a person like that and I say, if you had as much of God as you will ever have, then I think you would be more effective for the kingdom than you actually are right now. I want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be so saturated and overflowing with the oil of God that even as I walk from this place and I walk into a restaurant or I walk into a supermarket or wherever the case may be, 
I'm walking down the street. People are drawn to the brightness of my being. People walk up to you and say, what is wrong with you? What is different about you? I told the story years ago that, you know, I heard a, you know, a, a, a guy who's an evangelist out of Russia, and he was speaking at a revival service on a Sunday morning. We decided to go at the last second, and he said, you can't expect people to just walk up to you and say, how shall I then be saved? And in my mind, I said, why not? And so I began to pray. God, I pray that you, that, that, that the circle of influence of your presence within me goes so far beyond me that as I walk the street, people will be drawn into the swirl of your presence and their eyes will be open to something that is greater than their present reality. And they will ask me, how then shall I be saved? Within three weeks, this one woman at my workplace who is an agnostic Jew, her office was on the other side of the building, walked all the way across the building, walked into my office, office and she started asking me questions about God. The next week, we had decided to have this joint service with a, with a, a, a Spanish Pentecostal church in, in Milford. And so we weren't even meeting at our building. We were going to their building, but we parked where we normally parked. And Deb and I were walking down the street, walking by the old Dunkin' Donuts that was downtown. It's a laundromat now in Milford. And, and as we got to the corner of the street, this guy comes dawdling down on his bicycle, clearly inebriated. And he looks at me and he says, do you know God? I said, as a matter of fact, I do. He's like, I want to know him. God can do above and beyond anything that you will ever ask or think, but you got to be hungry enough to press through the distractions of your life and say, if I only touch the hem of his garment, I will be changed. I will be transformed. I will be made new. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh today. I want to be baptized in fire. I want to be baptized in your glory and your love, fully saturated in the substance of who you you are so that where I go, you will go before me. That's what I want. But it takes humility. In American churchianity, we think that we're humble, but I see how people respond to the word of the Lord. We want to do everything. We hide behind the banner of doing things decently and in order. Not understanding that the ways of God, the people of God, he, he operates on a different level of what is decent and orderly. As a matter of fact, if the atmosphere of the throne room were to manifest in this room right now, we'd all probably dive under our chairs and then try to cast the demons out that are actually the four living creatures that are around his throne. He sits on the throne and it explodes in the thunders and lightnings. It's loud, it's boisterous. You've got 24 elders that are casting their crowns upon. We think it's responsive reading in heaven. No, it is the sound of thunder. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Bang, crash, boom. Ah, oh, there's a creature with eyes inside and in the back and without. And you're like, ah, what is that? I don't know. But he decided it was a good idea to have around his throne. Every expression in the heart of the Father is released in every moment through creation, throughout eternity, around his throne. And he's eternal. 
Everything is in his heart. Every moment of time. You know, we think we get fresh revelations. Oh, I got this fresh revelation. No, we just tapped in to the eternal nature of God because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not fresh, but we can call it fresh. It's like when, when your, your toddler learns how to walk or they learn something new. They think they just did something that has never been done before. And every time they learn something new, they think they're learning something that's never been learned before. And you don't tell them, you're like, oh, well, we've known that. I've known that for 30 years. No, you celebrate that thing because that's what you do with kids. So you can call it fresh revelation. That's fine. But we're just tapping into who he's always been. And we become just enough aware of his presence to be able to absorb something new. The depths of the riches of the wisdom of God are unsearchable, yet still we are tasked to search. So everything, every day can be new in him if we just press in a little bit more. I love this story so much because so many people, I just resonates with me in examples in my life. Because, like, I've been the guy that moseys up to the altar, and I've been the guy that runs. But I've been a mosier more than I've been a runner. Because to be a runner, you have to humble yourself. Because you recognize you're putting on display right now for everybody that you need God maybe more than they do. And that's what this woman did. There were people, probably predominantly men, that were pressing in all around Jesus. And she, something in her understood that there is a window of grace. There is a window of opportunity before me. And I might never get this chance again. See, the problem with modern times, especially in this on-demand culture that we have, you know, we can, we can watch anything at any time. We can, ac- informa- we can access information at any time. And it's getting crazier and crazier by the moment. The, you know, with all of the, the AI stuff, my son goes on chat GPT yesterday and he says, write me a sermon on, the hung, on, on our need for hunger for God. You know, and I don't know, he probably put a few more words in there. And I was, the, the thing it, within a minute spits out a sermon. I was like, that's pretty good. <laughs> It's a little scary. But I was like, man, that's a really practical message. I got really, really preach. That's scary. I feel dirty just even saying that. But We have access to this anytime. So we feel like if a window of grace opens up before us, if we don't feel like walking through it, we're just like, oh, well, I live in an on-demand culture. Heaven is an on-demand culture. And so I can just skip this one and I can pick it up tonight. I can pick it up tomorrow. I can pick it up next week. There's going to be another altar call next week. Look, here's the reality of the kingdom. If that woman had not pressed into Christ in that moment, she was not going to get the chance again 
It's called kairos in the Greek. There are two times. There's chronos time, which is chronological time. There's kairos, which is the opportune moments of heaven that open up on earth. And if you don't feel, if you don't recognize that there is a kairos moment on the land in this time and in this season, I got news for you. The spirit of God is dropping on the earth today in a level of glory that I have not experienced in some time. And I understand that if we don't walk through that window, of grace in this moment, we might not get this chance again. It could be another decade. It could be another 20 years. I've read revival history. I've read the history books. People are like, oh, we're living in the darkest times of all times. Look, man, my parents grew up. They were born in World War II. My grandmother was born in the Great Depression, World War I, World War II. My dad was in Vietnam. Look, my, my, they had to crawl under the desks in their classrooms to hide, to practice hiding from a nuclear bomb. I don't know what they made their desks out of in the 50s, but I don't think it was that good. Somebody was like, oh, here's an idea. If a bomb goes off, let's have all the kids hide under their desks in school, and then they're going to be just fine. I don't know why we do some of the things that we do. I'm not saying that we, we don't have wars and rumors of wars and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is we have all of this because we have access to more information. And social media and the web, it gives voice to the lowest common denominator of communication on the earth. And so now we have the temptation where we can follow the voice of the spirit of this age instead of the voice of the Lord. He never operates from a position of fear. He operates from a position of faith. And so when we are seated in heavenly places and we recognize that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, it's not just for a Holy Spirit party. It's for strategic perspective on what's happening on earth today. That's how we can have peace in the midst of the storm. Because he's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the alpha and the omega. In him, he sees the end from the beginning. He already knows where we're headed. He's just kind of trying to get us to co-labor with him to bring heavenly realities onto earth. And you know what? When we're in times and seasons of trouble culturally, politically, um, you know, global conflicts and all that kind of stuff, there is no better time to release the gospel of Jesus Christ than in that moment because something about calamity opens up the, the hearts and the eyes of the blind to receive something that is greater than them in that moment. People are hungering for hope right now. You can go out in the street. You could talk to people. People are ready to receive hope. Now, when you walk in a church, some people think they got it all together or they think they've been there. They've done that. They've had a taste of a move of God. And now they become what Peter calls nearsighted and blind because they haven't continued to walk toward the face of God and allow him to increase himself in increasing measure day by day. It's a warning from God, but it's a warning from God to draw us back into the space of promise and blessing. We can be blessed in the midst of calamity. So many were pressing into the person of Jesus, but the hunger of one pulled on the power of God. And that the whole picture of the Greek, as it talks about, and I think the New American Standard um, did it correctly. I, you know, I read this in several versions, but it talks about 
the power that was proceeding from Christ. It's this, this verbal picture that as Jesus walked, there was always power proceeding from him. It's just that some people were able to access it by faith before he ever even got to say the prayer. And we've seen that over the years. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people get healed just in worship with no altar call. Nobody was, you know, got up and said, I believe there's healing in the room right now. No, we were just worshiping and people got healed. I remember this one particular time that an elder from another church came to visit our church because their church was opposed to our church and they thought we were all crazy. And that wasn't far from the truth. We were a little bit crazy, but he came to just kind of check it out. It was one of our night services. And, and at that period of time, it was in a season where I just didn't see people while I led worship. I was just yeah, I don't want to get into that, but, but there was this opening and I looked to my left and I saw this man and his head was shaking back and forth for about five seconds, just snapping like this. And then it was over. And then I just went, I didn't think much of it, but I went back into worship. And then later he came to us after the service was over and he said, and he told us what, what was going on. He said, I came here because, you know, we're critical of what's happening here and we're not comfortable with what's happening here, but I wanted to come and check it out. And I came here, and in my cervical spine, I have, a, I have an issue. I'm in chronic pain. There's a disc, or you know, I don't remember how severe it was. But the Holy Spirit came on him, snapped his head back and forth, and he was healed like that, just in the midst of worship. I was doing a block party in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, with New Life Worship Center. We did, we did these block parties like in project neighborhoods in Providence, like in neighborhoods where people were shot the night before. We never had a problem. We went to Winsocket and it was like this, it was just all kinds of crazy. The cops had to come and break up fights. It was nuts. But we led, now the first thing is we tried to be relevant. When we first started doing these, we tried to be relevant. So we're like, we're, we're trying to do like more urban music. It was really bad. <laughs> We tried. So then we we're like, you know, this isn't going to work. Let's just do prophetic worship for three hours. So we did that. And while we were doing this, I, my eyes were fixated on this one woman. And I, I knew this woman, I actually knew this woman from work. I didn't know her full story, but I knew this woman from work. And she just stood there frozen for three hours. And I, she was just so highlighted by me. I just, I kept looking and looking. I was like, what is going on there? What, what is happening? And then toward the end, you know, I did see a couple of women on our ministry team that we, you know, they were assigned to kind of mill around the people and minister to people sort of incognito. And they went up to her, talked to her for just a few seconds and they left and she was still there. She couldn't move. I didn't know that she couldn't move. I walked up to her and I said, hey, what's going on? And she's just like, I just met Jesus. I was like, oh, cool. You mean the ministry team came over and they, they, you know, they prayed a prayer? No, 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 no. I, I just met Jesus. I, I, I want to go get a hot dog, but I can't move because I just met Jesus. <laughs> just stood there frozen. There was no altar call. There was nothing going, nothing going on. It was just because we had made a decision to take possession of this block. The other cool thing that was happening was it was raining that morning. It was like downpour raining. And I was really concerned because, you know, I'm using a keyboard that I bought with my own money that even then it was about $2,000. And it's, I, we see the rain coming and the guy that I'm working with, he goes, don't worry about it. This block is ours. The rain's not going to touch us. Now, I was young and cynical and brash still because I wasn't married yet. I didn't have that iron sharpening iron relationship to kind of make me nicer for everybody else. So I look at him like he's an idiot because I could see the rain. 
And we had walked a block away to go get a coffee. And then, you know, and it's raining, it's raining. And I'm thinking, oh my God, my keyboard. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. I don't, I, I can't afford to buy another one. And, and then we step onto the block where we're ministering and the rain stops. And I turn, I look behind me. I'm like, what? And I literally did this. I took a step back. It's raining. I took a step more. And I was like, this is fun. <laughs> Suddenly I have faith. Some people have faith before the thing happens. Some people have to wait for something to happen before they get faith. I was the, la I was the second guy. I'd love to say that, oh, I'm a man of faith. No, I, I had to grow into that. So then her husband is, is hooked on heroin, and they bring, she, she comes to church that, the next Sunday, and he goes forward, and the Spirit of God hits him, and he shakes violently and crashes onto the floor before a catcher can even touch him, and he's delivered from his heroin addiction in a moment. Hunger turns the face of God. There's always power proceeding from him. It's always available to the degree of your hunger. Additionally, there are moments of time, there are windows of grace that open up that will, if you run through that thing, it will be the breakthrough that you've been waking, waiting for for 12 years years. I grew up playing soccer, and I was streaky as a goal scorer. I go a couple games without scoring any goals, and I go a couple games of scoring three or four goals. But I like to play. They always wanted to move me to center, but I like playing right wing because I would go down the wing, or even left wing. I would go down the wing, and then I would cut, and I would move parallel with the defense. And with my peripheral vision, I would wait for the opening, and I had trained myself so that when I saw the opening, I could turn and shoot on a dime. This is what the kingdom is like. The enemy's always going to try to inhibit you. He can't stop you, but he can inhibit you. He can make you feel like you're stopped. He can make you feel like your efforts are fruitless. But I'm telling you, if you just keep going, there will be an opening. And when that opening opens up, you got to go through it in that moment and don't look back. Hunger attracts the face of God. It activates hope. It activates action. But in order to do that, you have to die to some things. You've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to man-made, manufactured dignity. Because dignity in the Word of God looks different than what we perceive dignity to be in our culture today. And we think, as Martin Luther said, I think I said this last week, because our thoughts of God have become too human, we have relegated the God of creation to fit into the box of our culture. And so if he starts flowing or moving in a, in a way that's outside of what we understand churchianity to be, it can bring an offense to our heart, just like it did when he walked the earth.
But he wants you to come alive today. He wants you to be that beacon of light that as you walk from this place, you are so saturated in his glory. You are so saturated in his presence that people will be drawn to the brightness of your being because you decided to arise and shine because you recognize the light has already come upon you. I want to call the ministry team up. Some of you, your spirit has been bleeding for years. You've tried everything. You've gone from meeting to meeting. You've gone from church to church. You've gone from conference to conference. Look at that. We got so many on the ministry team. It's like almost like a one-to-one -one ratio. <laughs> you feel like life has slowly eroded from you. Power has left you. Look, you're either walking in power or you're not. It's not just for me to walk in. It's for all of you to walk in. We're here to equip you for the working of the ministry. You're either walking in power or you're not. He's not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of love, power, and discipline. And the NIV says sound mind. NASB says discipline. I like the word discipline. And things that were not designed to injure you caused you pain. People get church hurt. Expectations aren't met. And it causes you to shrink back from the very space where God is moving. But Hebrews 10.39 says that we are not of those that shrink back and are destroyed. Shrinking back brings destruction. That's why it says, that's why it's worded the way that it is. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are, by definition, a people of faith that preserve their souls. My invitation to you today is to walk in the definition of who he says you are. I want you to have your personal breakthrough. I want you to be transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory in a moment right here, right now, today. But I want it for a purpose so that when you go from this place, you will walk as a beacon of light of one who is transformed. And let me tell you, people will be drawn to the brightness of your being. They will. It is that day. It is that time. It is that season. It's just dark enough that even a dim light seems super bright. You're like bug zappers for Jesus. They're drawn to the brightness of your being and then everything they thought they were zap Jesus says behold I make all things new some of you your spiritual bones have become brittle can these dry bones live hear the word of the Lord 
You might be online. You might be watching live or you're watching this a month from now, a year from now. Have your spiritual bones become brittle? Can these dry bones live? I say yes. We're not here for some ordinary Sunday morning gathering. We're here to encounter Jesus, Yeshua, the anointed one, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power, the one who is there at the beginning, the one who spoke light into darkness and is speaking light into your darkness right now. Just say yes to him. The one who came and walked the earth and displayed the glory of God for all to see, who confirmed the covenant of the Father and fulfilled the law and released us into a new life of the law of grace, the law of life, and freed us from our own sin so that we could be reconciled back to the Father. The one that says to you right now, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Oh, as far as the east is from the west, I cast your sin from you. You want to hold on to that nature. You don't think you're good enough. You don't think you deserve this. But grace, it by definition, is giving you something that you don't deserve. And mercy is holding back something that you do deserve. His grace actually is sufficient for every weakness in your life. And his love endures forever and will penetrate every wound of your life and bring healing in a way that you never thought possible. He wants to raise you in his glory. He wants to raise you up in his light. He wants to establish you upon his word and upon his life today. I don't care if this is the first time you've ever heard this word. I don't care if you've been walking this thing for 40 years. I want to see a bride of Christ that arises with war on her mind to walk with the king and see his kingdom established in the face of darkness to cause the voice and the blood that speaks a better word to be louder than the voice of the spirit of this age. Every solution, every problem, every sin issue, every sickness, every disease, all of these things are wrapped up in him and all things must bow before him because he is the king of glory. So I'm not going to pray a prayer with you today. If you want Jesus, you just say yes to him. That's where it starts. And it doesn't really matter if this is day one or year 40. Confession of sin is still a thing. But he is always faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is righteousness? It's faith. That's it. It's not some behavioral modification program. We are righteous by faith. We are justified by the blood. The enemy will come and try to speak your history to you. But the king of glory extends his scepter of justice towards you and said, this one is walking toward a greater destiny. This one is justified by my blood. This one is righteous by faith. Case dismissed.
Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.